Good evening. Welcome to Bible study. Tonight our Bible study is being recorded in Shanghai, China. Uh, we're excited to be with our friend Erin, and we're glad to be able to spend a few days with her over the next few to uh, just catch up and to encourage and support and do what we can uh, to help her along in all that she's doing. So uh, it's good to be here, and we're glad that you can join us uh, with the podcast, and we hope that this will be a time of refreshing for us and for you, anybody that hears this. So let's get started in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for an opportunity to meet. We thank you for this place and this time, for such a time as this, and we thank you for all that you're doing. We ask, Father, that we would have ears to hear and really a soft heart to receive what you have for us tonight. I pray you would challenge us. And I pray, God, that we'd respond to that challenge in a positive way. And I pray freedom and liberty over us tonight. I pray freedom from patterns and things that hinder. I pray freedom from things that hurt us. I pray freedom from things that are holding us back from all that you have for us. And so, God, I just ask that you'd have your way, that you'd speak clearly to us, and I ask God that we would hear you and do something with you tonight. See freedom and liberty in our lives. We give you thanks. Have your way. In Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to be looking into uh, the book of Genesis tonight, chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. And we'll specifically look at verses 5 through 7. And as we're turning there, I just want to give a reminder that uh, we do have an interactive feature with our Bible study. Uh, you can go to a website. And the website is www.speakpipe.com slash Monday Night Bible Study, all one word. And there's a button there that you can toggle and you can leave what would appear to be a voice message voicemail message and you can feel free to leave any questions that you have any comments uh, we'll be sure to play those during Bible study time and do our best to answer them or if it's just a comment to listen and to hear what you have to say so we encourage you to use that it's a feature that we set up uh, to give people opportunity that are listening to the podcast that aren't here physically with us to be able to participate in what we're doing and take a part so Avail yourself of that. Genesis 4, 5 through 7. Anybody have that? But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. All right, thanks for reading that. Uh, this passage is back to the beginning, uh, the first people that God created. And uh, Cain, as being described here, is the son of Adam and Eve. In fact, he's the firstborn. The Bible describes him as a worker of the ground. Now, remember this comes after a prophecy that was given that Eve would have a child and that seed would be a promised seed. 
and that seed would uh, have an effect upon the serpent and the serpent would have an effect on him. Uh, we know that that prophecy, that word that was given by God was speaking of Jesus that would come much later. But in Eve's mind, because we have a tendency to do that, and her reaction to Cain being born, it appeared that she would think him to be the seed. That she was thinking that he would be the one that would be the one who would defeat the enemy. He'd be the one that would defeat the deceiver, in her mind. And it's kind of interesting that he was far from that. And, and I just, it just occurred to me as I was reading that, that she, she probably or likely had a certain expectation for Cain and who he was going to be and what he was going to do. And it kind of speaks to us in our expectations that we just make things up. And, uh, and so she made that up. I mean, she had, I guess, some reason. Uh, she, you could say she had some reason to make it up because she had that word of prophecy, but the word of prophecy didn't specify who it was, and so to put all your eggs in that basket uh, was kind of interesting, and uh, we do that sometimes. We get a word, or we think something, or we have something in our heads, and then whatever happens, happens, and it, it may go our way, and it may not go our way, but we have to be careful that... We don't just make something up. We have to be careful not to let our expectations rule us. And always keep in mind that, you know, expectations and faith are a part of how we live. But also remember that expectations and faith, they don't mean that it's the truth. Uh, and, and it, it doesn't mean that that has to be the way it goes. And, uh, you, you speak to people that have issues with God. Uh, somebody that's mad at God or that has some kind of anger or some kind of frustration with God, most of the time you can ask a direct question about it. Is, is, isn't the, the direct question isn't, you know, why do you hate God or why are you mad at God? But the real direct question is, what did God not do that you wanted him to? Because really nine times out of ten when somebody's really upset with God, it has to do with something that he didn't do, something he didn't perform that that person really thought he should have or wanted him to. In other words, they set an expectation that God's going to do this. And when God didn't do that, they get really upset, they get bitter, they get angry, they whatever it is that occurs in their life that, that we as people, uh, that, that happens to us, I think when we set the wrong expectation for God. Uh, God is God. He does what He does. And our expectations need to roll with who He is, really, and the real stuff that He really does, not what we make up. And so, Eve, for whatever reason, she never had a son before. She has this son. He's the firstborn. And so there were certain expectations that she placed upon Him, and he really didn't turn out the way she thought. That's just the truth. And, and there would be, and, and the thing about it is, regardless of her expectations, misplaced or otherwise, God still fulfilled his word. And he still did what he said he was going to do. And so, uh, we know that now, I mean, this is retrospect, this is history for us. We know that she, that God fulfilled that word through Jesus. Uh, but she didn't have the luxury that we have looking back at it. She was living in the moment. And the lesson we learned from it, and this is the only lesson I want to speak to this from, because it was almost a passing thought I was reading it, but 
the real lesson I got out of it is this, that you can't let your expectations rule you. And, and just be careful, because we make up stuff all the time. So, Cain, just as a quick descriptor of Cain, he was the firstborn. And the Bible describes him as a worker of the ground. Eve's secondborn son was Abel. He was obviously secondborn, so he was the younger. And he was described as a keeper of sheep. And so, uh, what happened was, and, and this is, this is something I also want to point out with this, because this did, this did kind of stand out to me. The way that Cain and Abel are described is, firstly, they're described by how they were born. You got a firstborn and then you have the secondborn. But then they were described by what they did. They were described by their work. And I know people get down on that. You know, they, they, they use phrases. And, and it's true. We're human beings. And so we need to be. We need to live. And I'm a firm believer in that. Uh, but uh, part of living is our work. Part of living is what we do. It, it shouldn't describe everything we are. And notice their first descriptor has to do with their being. The first descriptor that God gives of them has to do with the firstborn, the secondborn, or however you want to see that. That has to do with their being. But then he does speak to what they did. He does speak to their job. He speaks to their work. And and we as people, we we need something to do. We really do. And if you've ever been in a position where you don't have any work to do, you don't have anything to do, I mean, there's a lot of self-destructive stuff that goes on during those times in people's lives. And and whether you judge that, you don't judge that, whatever it is, it's still, we, we put ourselves in those positions like that when we don't have anything to do. We don't have any vision, we don't have any work, we don't have any anything, any direction that we're actually living in and that we're applying ourselves to. Those are times of self-destruction. Those are times of depression. Those are times when people fall into dark places. Well, we were created to do stuff. We were created to, to live in vision. And, and those are just all part of our life. So I, I think that, that that's something that we can take from that. So as the story goes, Cain brings an offering to God. Uh, that's what the Bible says, that he brought an offering. That's how it's described. It's simple. He brought an offering. It was from, he, he worked the ground, so it was stuff that grew on the ground. <laughs> uh, fruit of the ground, like like tomatoes or vegetables or however you want to think about it. But he brought an offering that was the fruit of the ground. It could have been grain. It could have been wheat. It could have been barley. It could be anything that grows in the ground. So, that's what he brought. He brought an offering of that, meaning he just came to give that to God. Abel also brought an offering. Abel, though, chose the firstborn among his flocks. And, and I want to, and I want to point that out because that's important to where we're going with this is that he took the best portions of what he had, the firstborn among his flock, and that's what he brought as an offering to God. So, without getting into any reasons or conjecture as to or making something up about why God did this, God's response to Cain and Abel, this is how he responded, he had no regard for Cain's offering, which was of the fruit of the ground, 
But for Abel's offering, it said he had regard. And so for one he had no regard, and for the other he had regard. Now we get some insight in this from the New Testament as to why this happened. And again, we're not going to make anything up as to why he regarded one and he didn't regard the other. Let's just look and see what the Bible says. So Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 4, if somebody could look that up. Hebrews 11.4, that begins to give us some insight as to why God had regard for one and God didn't have regard for the other. So Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 4. By faith Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith he was commended as a righteous man, and God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith he still speaks even though he is dead. All right. The reason God had regard for his offering is that he brought it by faith. And so the implication of that is that Cain, because God had no regard for his offering, didn't bring his offering in faith. Do you understand what I'm saying? So we're not making that up. That's just... What Hebrews said, that's the descriptor we have in the New Testament of what happened in the Old Testament. And the other thing about the descriptor in Hebrews 11 is that it says that Cain, excuse me, Abel is still speaking to this day. And so the word that we're receiving from Abel is that faith matters. That our intent and our disposition in our sacrifice matters. So what does that mean for us? Well, how do we sacrifice? Well, we sacrifice maybe financially. We sacrifice our time, our efforts. We sacrifice our talents. And the way that we do that matters. And that's what's important. That's what we learn. That's what Abel is still speaking to us, is that it matters the, the way that we intent and in our disposition and, and how that comes out in our life. How that sacrifice is made. The reason what's going on inside of us matters. The, the Bible says that God looks at the heart. First Samuel 16, 7 tells us that God is a God who looks at the heart. He knows our hearts. And, and it matters what's in our hearts. We as people tend to put a premium on the outward. The action. And if the action is right then we expect certain reward for that. God, however, looks at the intent of the heart. And those are two different things. Uh, John 4, 24, when Jesus was speaking to the woman at the well, he tells that those that worship God will worship him in the way that he describes that is in spirit and in truth. In other words, worship will not just be an outward action, but worship will be something that will come from our inner being and will be actual and true, and that's what's going to matter. That's what Jesus said. So it's not going to matter exactly where you're at. It's not going to matter like the form of it. It's what's coming from inside of you that's going to matter. And so there's a premium being placed in actuality by God on what's going on in the heart. And that's what we're seeing in this, is that it really does matter. And so, it, when the Bible says that God had regard for Abel's offering, what that means is, is that he looked on it, here's the literal translation, that he looked on his offering with a keen 
a keen and earnest glance. Okay, that doesn't mean he stared at it. It doesn't mean that he was, you know, uh, oogling it or anything. He was just looking at it. It was a glance. It was a keen and earnest glance. And that, that phrase is actually used in other places and means to kindle into a fire. And so you see that in a few places in the Old Testament where a sacrifice was made and God took that sacrifice and he lit it a flame himself. And that's how he showed that he accepted the sacrifice. And so that's implied here, even though it's not specifically said, that God consumed that sacrifice that Abel brought and he left the sacrifice of Cain, which made it obvious to anyone that was watching that he accepted one and didn't accept the other. That's how they knew he had regard for one and he didn't have regard for the other. Now, some places where you see that in the Old Testament, I'll just rattle some off. It'll be Leviticus 9.24, Judges 6.21, Judges 13.19 and 20, 1 Kings 18.38. Those are, and there's more than that. But those are just some of the places in the Old Testament where God did that. Where a sacrifice was made, he looked down that sacrifice, and he consumed it with fire. And that's what it would probably, it didn't specifically say that, but there was some obvious way that God showed approval. That God regarded one and didn't regard the other. And that would make sense. That one was consumed, and one was left. And so it was obvious what he regarded, what he looked on with favor, and what he didn't look on his favor and so the thing that also that struck me about both of these instances is said he had no regard it wasn't just no regard for Cain's offering he had no regard for Cain and then it said that he had regard and it was that he had regard not just for Abel's offering but he had regard for Abel also and so what happened here after this, and understand that this was a public doing. This is something that happened in front of people. I don't know how many people were there. I mean, it was, it was their family, I guess. And if there were other people, there were other people. I don't know where they came from. It's not an important question to me. But it was at least the family. And what happened was that all this took place in public. In other words, it was obvious Abel's sacrifice was accepted possibly it was consumed with fire and Cain's sacrifice was left and it wasn't accepted. And so what this led to is that Cain said that he became, the Bible says that Cain became very angry. He became very angry and, and his face fell, his countenance fell. So those are the two things that happened. So, I guess what I would say to that is this. One, <clears throat> is that people can get angry sometimes and not show it. But in this case, not only did he get angry, he also showed it in his face. He was just really angry. And those words, very angry, they, they speak to being full of rage. It speaks, it speaks to a burning, hot, indignant feelings. And, and so that's how he was feeling. And when it talks about his face falling, that describes a look that speaks of sour, dejected, angry, envy, resentment, and shame. 
and and this is really is is really a <clears throat> a natural thing for us. It's hard for us to hide those kind of feelings. And and, and I mean, some of us are better at it than others, but really, if if you're feeling those kind of things, you think about sour or like if you eat something sour, you know that face you make. I mean, it's it's hard to not make the face. It's just our reaction to that or being dejected. I mean, if you if you ever seen kids when they choose up for sports, I don't even know if they do it if they allow it anymore. But it used to be, you know, you'd pick a team, you'd pick two captains, they'd pick a team, and the kid that was last, you know, is always looking kind of dejected. You could see it in their face or anger. Some people can show their anger or or they show their anger in their face, resentment. Shame is another thing. What kind of body language describes shame? Think about that. Head down. Kind of slumped over. Not making eye contact. There's a lot of things that speak to shame in our life. And so he was very angry. And who was he angry at? He was angry at at God. And he was angry at Abel. But the fact of the matter is Cain, if he was going to be angry, which he could have been angry because his offering was rejected, if he was going to be angry at anybody, it should have been himself. Because he didn't bring the offering in faith. It should have been himself because it didn't appear that he picked the best of what he had, he just picked what he had. And so he made those decisions he did what he did. He didn't do it in faith. And so he reaped the consequences of his own actions and his own heart attitudes. But when he reaped the consequences of his own heart attitudes and his own action, he got angry at the wrong people. He got angry at God and he got angry with his brother. And so, he burned with rage, he, he was indignant, and his face fell. And that speaks of being sour, dejected, angry, envious, having resentment and shame in his life. So God asked him about it. And he uses those words exactly. He's like, Cain, why are you angry, and why is your face fallen? I mean, just very specifically, just ask those two questions of him. Because those are literally what just happened. And so, God's asking him because he wants an answer. He confronts him. And this is one of those times when God just brings the confrontation. But, you think about the times that God does this. You know, I immediately, when I read this, I thought of when Nathan the prophet came to David. And confronted him after he killed Uriah. And he took Bathsheba. When he shouldn't have done that, and she got pregnant, and all this other stuff. It was just a huge mess. And Nathan came to David and just confronted him with that. And and the, the, the thing that needed to happen there was that David needed to repent, and David needed to face up to what he was doing so he could be set free. And the whole purpose that God's bringing this is he brings the truth in order to disarm the lies. He brings the truth in order to disarm the shame and to disarm the anger and to disarm the resentment and to disarm the judgment that's being made on another person or on God. He's trying to disarm those kind of things in us because we're not made to walk around with that kind of stuff in us. 
And he wants to disarm that stuff. He wants to disarm that kind of anger in us. He wants to disarm that kind of resentment, that kind of sourness that goes on in us. To say, yeah, you don't have to live like that. The shame that people live in. He doesn't want us living in that. Jesus, it says in the Bible, Jesus despised the shame that they tried to put on him with the cross. He didn't want that. And he openly, actively worked against it. Didn't just say he endured it. He despised it. That's the, you, you know, you gotta put a little effort into that. And so he did. That's what he, that's the way he handled that. And so, even though these feelings are familiar to every one of us, and we understand that our face falling is familiar to every one of us, and there's probably no better way to describe that, God will confront us not to make us feel worse, but to give us a dose of truth so we can move toward change and freedom in our life. And we don't have to live under that anymore. But part of the secret of that, and part of the what God is trying to do in that, is to set us free to live in truth. Not stuff we make up, not expectations that we place on God or ourselves, but to actually live in truth. And to find freedom in that, find liberty in that. And that's what he's trying to do. He's moving us toward change and freedom. So he confronts and he asks Cain, and here's the question he asks, why? Why are you angry? Why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? Why? And he wants the answer. Because it's the answer that's going to set Cain free. God knew the answer. Cain didn't know the answer. God knew what the problem was. Cain didn't know what the problem was. The confrontation wasn't for God's sake. It was for Cain's sake. So he could get set free. So that he could do something else. And get something else going out of life. And that's what he was looking for. And so he, he goes on to instruct me. So he asks the question, why? Because he wants Cain free. And he goes on to instruct me. He said, basically, he says, if you do the right thing, then it's all good. And what's the right thing? Well, the right thing was what Abel did. What did Abel do? What was the right thing? He had the right heart attitude. He had, he had the right things going on inside of him. He had the right spirit inside of him when he made a sacrifice. And I says, you, you do the right thing, meaning that, then it's all good. And, and I interpret that to mean that if Cain had brought the, the first fruit of the ground and he brought the, brought the best of what he had and he had given that in faith and in love and in service and in worship of God, I mean, what God really desires, then it would have been all good. I'm not a believer that 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 it, by its very nature, the Abel sacrifice was better. I think it had to do with faith, and I think it had to do with his heart. And Cain could have been accepted too. It wasn't a competition. It wasn't Cain versus Abel. It wasn't, oh, God's going to like one and not the other. He could have liked them both. And he could have sent fire from heaven to consume them both if they were both offered in faith and they were both offered with the right disposition and the right intent. Because that's what God's looking for. So he says, do the right thing. And, and we know, like Acts 10.34, 
that God is no respecter of persons. And that's what I just said. It's not that he liked Abel better than Cain. It wasn't, that wasn't the issue. It all had to do with Cain and Abel's heart toward God, not God's heart toward them. He loved Cain, and he loved Abel. And he would have been pleased with each one of them if they had given a sacrifice in faith, but Cain didn't. And so, it wasn't all good. Paul, think about the Apostle Paul, and he described himself this way, that he was the chief of sinners. And yet God redeemed him. And you think about Paul versus John. You had the disciple John, who describes himself in the New Testament, in his gospel, with his name John, named after himself, he described himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. So you've got the disciple whom Jesus loved, and you've got Paul, the chief of sinners, who's running around killing Christians or, or consenting to the death of Christians. So you've got these two contrasts. You've got the one leaning his head on Jesus' chest when they're having dinner, and you got this guy over here hunting down Christians and, and trying to put them on trial or do whatever he was doing with them. So, or stoning them or whatever was happening. And so John, that makes sense to us because he, he was a disciple whom Jesus loved. But then you got Paul over here that God loved just as much. In fact, God loved him enough that he changed his life on the road to Damascus one day. And then Paul, responding to that love, gave his life to serving Jesus for the rest of his life. And so without respect to John, who was closer at meals with Jesus, or you've got Paul, who's way far away at the time, and way far away in the church and actually working against what Jesus was trying to do, but he loved him so much that he made sure that he came to know him too. There's a powerful word in that for us. And because I think sometimes we think, well, God, you know, he's got this guy over here, that guy, you know, where am I? Well, he loves you. And there's no, there's no point in understanding anything more than that. He loves you and he's working something out for you. He's got something for you to do. He's got a place for you to be. He's got a future that he wants to put into you to see that happen in you. So all these good things that he stored up for you because he loves you. And, and regardless of where you came from, regardless of what your life was at one point, I have no idea for some of us. But he's got all good. And he loves you. So, so that's just part of something that we need to get a hold of, something that we need to begin to apply into our lives. Yeah, Paul said that in 1 Timothy 1.16, if you want to find that, but where he calls himself the chief of sinners. So, so God says to Cain, he's like, if you do the right thing, it's all good. Bring it in faith. Bring it with the right disposition. Bring it with the right intent. He said, but if you don't do those things, do what things? Well, bring it with the right disposition. Bring it with the right intent. Get your heart right. If your heart's not right, here's what he says. If you don't do the right thing, you set yourself up to be ruled by sin. That's what he's saying there. You are setting yourself up for defeat. And you will be the slave to sin. If you don't handle your heart. 
if you don't handle your, your attitudes, if you don't handle why you're doing things and not really have a good handle on the reasons behind it. I mean, obedience is a good reason. It really is. But God wants you to love Him in that. And He wants you to serve Him with a whole heart and a willing heart in that. Not begrudgingly. There's different kinds of obedience, isn't there? I mean, seriously? There's stuff that you want to do to help somebody. There's stuff that you want to do because it's your job. And you feel good about going about the, the job that God's provided for you. And so you get some instruction from your boss and you go about and you do it. And it feels good to do that. And then there's another kind of obedience that is just, it's forced on you. And that's not with a good heart. You know, things like the speed limit. Alright? The only reason you drive, this for some of us, the only reason we drive the speed limit is because there might be a cop around the corner. And if they, they radar us going a certain speed, we're going to get a ticket. We don't want a ticket, or we can't afford a ticket, or we're going to lose our license if we get a ticket, or our insurance is going to go up if we get a ticket. Whatever's going to happen. And that might be enough incentive <laughs> not to speed. Maybe. But see, there's obedience where we're doing it reluctantly. That isn't the right heart. Now I want you to apply that. How many people serve God that way? Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do the minimum so that I can go to heaven. Or so, whatever. Whatever stupidity comes out of our brains. Whatever we make up sometimes. I'm gonna do the minimum. What's the minimum? I have no idea. I don't even know what that means. I mean, the minimum? Well, you know, what God's looking for is a willing heart. What God's looking for is a heart that's been handled to to with the right disposition, the right intent. Because that's what he accepts, that's what he's looking for, that's what he loves. And so we gotta handle that. And if we don't handle that, what he's saying is that we're setting ourselves up to be ruled by sin. That's what's going to happen if we don't handle that. And uh there's kind of a contrast being played here. Because the what the way that God describes the situation to Cain. He's like, there's a lion that's crouched outside your door. It's just waiting to devour you. And you think about the picture that gives you. It's like a lion, and the, the word there, he's crouched. That means he's ready to spring. And you've seen cats like that, where they're looking at something. It could be an, it could be something that like a mouse, or it could be an inanimate object. But if you've ever seen a cat do that, They'll kind of get themselves up into a position. They're all, they coil their spring and their legs and all the rest of that stuff. And when the time is right, and whatever that means to a cat, I have no idea. But they'll just spring into action. And, and so, and they'll attack whatever it is they're going to go after. So, that's the picture he's giving. You got a lion outside your door, ready, tensed up, ready to spring. And as soon as you come out of that door, that thing's going to eat you. That's, that's the sin. That's what's going to devour you. And so that, that's the picture he's given. Now you see a similar picture in, and you can look this up, First Peter 5, 8. First yeah, Peter 5, 8. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, lion looking for you someone to devour. Okay, in this picture of it, you've got the devil prowling around. In the picture that we have in Genesis that God's describing, 
the the lion is still and ready to spring as soon as you open this door. So he's waiting for you. This isn't a random hit. That if you don't take care of this, this is something that he's waiting for you not to take care of this. That's what he's waiting for. And, and it's a trap of your own making. And so you've got the ability to disarm the trap. God's given you the ability to do it. But if you don't, there's a trap that you've set up yourself. And that's what God was saying here. Sin is crouched outside your door. It's ready to spring on you. If you open that door, guess what's going to happen? Boom. Right? It's going to spring on you. This you know. Now what door is he talking about? Well, it's the door we've been talking about. Living in, with bad intent in our hearts. Living with a bad disposition. Not really walking and living in love. Not really walking and living in the spirit. But just kind of going through the motions or going through the religion, religion part of it or whatever that would be. That's the door the devil waits for. Setting ridiculous expectations on ourselves or setting ridiculous expectations on God or whatever it is. This is the way it's gotta be. Well, it's never gotta be. It is what it is. And we're gonna flow in that or we're not. And, and, and that's my hope. That's my prayer is that we can be pliable enough with God to flow in that. And there are going to be times that we do stuff that is going to be outside of faith. Just because we think we should, or because we get pressure to do it, or whatever it is. And the point of those things isn't to look in that and say, okay, well, I, I did this. I was a big girl, I was a big boy, and I took it on the chin for whatever it is that, that God was going to do or not going to do or whatever it was, now I expect my reward. Well, that's not the way the kingdom works. That's not the way the kingdom works at all. And so the, 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 the idea is, is that we get ourselves straight. We get the right heart attitude. We get the, the, the mind of a servant. Let this mind be in you, which also was in Christ Jesus. What was that, that mindset? That was the mindset of a servant. A mindset of someone that's going to serve everybody. And we find ourselves in that position, then we find ourselves in a good position to respond to God instead of opening the door. Now listen to this door of sour, dejected, angry, envious, resent, resentful shame. See, so open that door. That lion is ready to spring on you. That sin will devour you. And you've seen it devour people. You've seen otherwise, I've seen, and I know that some of you have seen otherwise, rational people get devoured by bitterness. Rational people get devoured by envy. Rational people get devoured by jealousy. Rational people get devoured by, by shame in their life paralyzed by it. Anger, deep-seated anger that affects every relationship in their life. Because it will devour us. God said, and He knows. So, so the real trick with that is don't open that door. Don't open that door to sin. Because there is a choice. Because in contrast to that, and you can look this up too, Revelation 3.20, 
Revelation 3.20 is a direct contrast to sin crouching outside your door ready to devour you. Because he's just waiting. And the devil is waiting on this trap because you set the trap. How do you disarm the trap? Well, Revelation 3.20. Still talking about a door here. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Alright, so what's the secret there? When do we open the door? <laughs> what's going to happen? He knocks, but what, what comes before us opening the door? You hear his voice. You hear his voice. And we know from his teaching, uh, his sheep know his voice. They know the shepherd's voice. And so we're opening the door to our friend. We're not opening the door to envy. We're not opening the door to uh, whatever the rest I said there. The shame. We're not opening the door to resentment. We're not opening the door to anger. We're opening the door to our friend. And so this is all disarmed through our relationship with Christ. And I don't know how we're going to do it without it. Because you're going to be disappointed. People are going to disappoint you. There's going to be times where you think you have the mind of God, and you don't. Alright? And so then you'd be disappointed with that. All right. But there's one thing to be disappointed. It's another thing to be bitter. It's one thing to learn from that and to grow and mature in that. And it's another thing to be resentful and live in that kind of resentment. You know, most of the things, you know, when I talk about dejection and anger and envy and resentment and shame, they all have to do with our perceptions of how other people see us. At least a lot of them. And if we feel like we've been rejected in public or whatever it was, whether it was true or not, those kind of feelings begin to crop up. They can only be disarmed through our relationship with Jesus. Because he brings truth. Because he brings freedom. He brings liberty to our hearts. And when we take those things to him, he heals that. That's part of the work that he's done. That's part of the work that has been done by Jesus is to heal us of those kind of things. To set us free. Because he wants us to live in freedom. He doesn't want us to hide inside our houses. He doesn't want us to stay away from people. He doesn't, he's not looking for us to, to not have relationships or deep relationships. He wants all those things for us. But the real bottom line to it all is, is that he wants us in relationship with him. And for our hearts to be in a right place with him. Period. Like I said, there's different ways to serve. He wants to serve him with a whole heart and a happy heart and a joyful heart. Not begrudgingly getting by. Because that's sad. That's really sad. And, and yet I know Christians live like that. So Cain really only had a reason to be angry with himself. But he was angry with everybody else. He was angry with Abel. And he was angry with God. 
And what did that lead to? You know what happens, right? Kill brother? Yeah, Cain gets so angry about this, he rises up and he kills his own brother. That's how much it festered in him that he ended up <coughs> he ended up killing Abel over it. Because you know what? Sin was crouching outside of his door like a like a lion ready to spring. And he opened up that door to resentment. And he opened up that door to bitterness. And he opened up that door to anger and, all, and envy and all those things. And that sin consumed him. That lion consumed him. And he went and killed his brother. Those are some sad days. That's a sad act. But that's what he's doing. And, and so our lesson, you know, and I think it's interesting that Hebrews 11, that it picks Abel, of one of the champions of faith. One of the, the big, like, spiritual sea of people who live by faith, that Abel's one of them. And that the bottom line to all of this, and the one thing they point out about the story in the New Testament, right in Hebrews 11.4, has to do with intent and disposition. And so I would encourage us to begin to, to check our own intent and disposition, to check our own hearts, and to really begin to allow God to, to maybe disarm some of the other stuff that we're carrying around. Because it's hard to predict when some of that's going to go off. <laughs> and that's part of the problem. Like what sets off something inside of us? What sets off bitterness? What sets off anger? What sets off envy? What sets off jealousy in us? And rather than let those go off like landmines because somebody steps on one, to, to really disarm that by hearing the voice of Jesus and letting him in. To begin to deal with it. That's the only way I know it's going to be dealt with. Really. I mean, we can change attitudes. We can practice loving people. We can do a lot of things to, to bring about some kind of change. But when it comes right down to it, it's God who does it. Because some things in us are so deep, only he's going to touch it. Some things in us are so deep that only he's going to be able to, to really affect it and do anything with it. And so we need to allow him to do that. So anybody have any questions or anything? Hmm. Any comments? I've been thinking about why God chose Abel and not Cain for like the last three months. Hmm. I'm really excited you spoke about this tonight. <laughs> well, it's funny because... <laughs> You know, I do my I do my notes. I take notes on the Bibles. I read through it, and so lots of times I do things right in order. And sometimes I I get impressions to go back to something or whatever. So this is one of those times, kind of interesting, because I was just looking at this the other night. So yeah. that's how it came up. Any other comments? That's pretty cool. It's good. Came all the way to China just to tell you that. I know. Thanks, man. Yeah, no problem. 
All right, if there are no other questions, let's just uh, take a take a moment and pray and just respond. And I just want to encourage you to respond where you're at. To maybe what God was saying or what God was showing you tonight. Father, thanks for your love toward us and we thank you for the opportunity we have to worship you and to serve you with our lives. I just ask God that we could check our hearts tonight. That you would give us Holy Spirit wisdom to do that. Because your Bible, the Word says that the heart is deceitful above all things who can know it. And the answer to that is you. Uh, we have trouble seeing our own hearts. We have trouble understanding our motives sometimes. And, and why we do things. And so I pray for a Holy Spirit revelation tonight. I pray for a Holy Spirit revelation as to some of the root things that are going on in us that would cause these kind of behaviors, that cause these kind of attitudes, that cause these kind of, uh, of, uh, of things in us that would hinder what you want to do. And so God, tonight I just pray that uh, you would shine a light on areas that need to be lit. And I ask God, our response would be toward freedom. Our response would be toward your love. Our response would be toward you, toward hearing your voice and welcoming you into our life, into this process of getting set free. And so, God, I specifically pray against shame in people's lives tonight. I specifically pray against uh, the lies of the enemy. I specifically pray against bitterness. I specifically pray against envy and jealousy tonight and ask God you would set us free because we hear the voice of the shepherd of our souls we hear the voice of the one knocking at the door ready to disarm sin ready to disarm that lion that's ready to pounce so Jesus we invite you in do what you do we invite you in to set us free. We invite you in to bring your grace and your love and your forgiveness into our lives where there's need for us to change. Thanks for that opportunity. So tonight, God, in faith, we live in you. I pray that goes deeper and deeper into us. We give you thanks tonight. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Let's agree by saying amen. Amen. amen.